Uh, hey everybody, it's me, Nap. I just wanted to let you know that if you're only listening to the You Mind podcast, you're only getting half the story. Be sure to tune in for Creeping Wave Radio to hear all the, uh, exciting things that happen when the mics go off in the studio. New season coming October 2019, so now's the perfect time to catch up, really. Uh, the link is in the description. <laughs> Napoleon. Oh, Scratch. Hey, boss man. What seems to be the problem? Who is that beauty? Distorting the time-space continuum out in my hallway. Oh, that's the Traveler. The Traveler? Uh-huh. He came here from 1964. Why? Oh, I was going to interview him for my show. I thought it might help me recover some of my memories if I talked to someone more connected to the, uh... Past? Yeah. Memories can be a burden, Napoleon. Okay. Be careful what you invite into your life. Oh, sure. Great. Sort of ironic you saying that, but, um... uh, Oh, oh! You can come in now. We're all set up. Don't be scared now, but it looks like you just wandered straight into you mind country. That's you mind, short for unaffiliated mind games, and you ain't never gonna be the same again. Brace yourself, it's time for red hot truth injection. Oh yeah! That's right, bitch, we're rounding up the sheeple and shaking them awake. You mind? Too damn bad. We're gonna set fire to the wool over your eyes. Feel the burn, baby. Hot damn. We're toppling the lies of the lamestream media one by one. Woo-wee. Watch them bad boys fall. Hey, Universe A, this is Universe B, call it, and we're gonna tear you a new one. You mind? Um, okay. Hi, everyone. It's me, Nap again, and uh, I am here today with uh, the Traveler. Hello. Yeah. So how are you today? I'm excellent. I'm in this odd place that is not 1964. Yeah. So you are a time traveler, are you not? That is correct. Oh, very interesting. Um, Can you explain the principles of time travel in layman's terms for our listeners? Well, what's what's really easy is the fact that I time travel the same way everybody else does. So right now you are experiencing time travel at the rate of one second per second, one day per day, and you will continue to do that until you shuffle off this mortal coil. And I do the same thing. I'm just 55 years behind you. So mm. right now I look at the calendar and it's March 21st, 1964. Johnson is the president. Khrushchev is the premier. Uh, Beckett just came out a couple of weeks ago and... My God, that was a gay movie. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Interesting. So are you here via time portal, or how are we communicating with each other right now? Well, I'm not sure how you got me here, other than uh, your fantastic dress that you're wearing, well, which, which I you. hope pictures will accompany whatever this is. <laughs> but um, So I, I maintain a portal called Galactic Journey. It's called Galactic Journey, and, the, and it can be reached at galacticjourney.org, all one word. And Galactic Journey is a portal where everyone from this time, which I believe is 2019, Mm -hmm. can see the past as if they're there and experience it day by day, just as we do. Interesting. Um, Are you at all worried that the Soviets might get a hold of this technology? 
Well, if they do, then they'll just have some sort of time travel device that goes to 1919, and how useful is that? Yeah, I guess you're right. So, speaking of the Soviets, uh, which are a people I've been dealing with a lot lately, let's not go into that, um, well, Russia seems neck and neck in the space race with uh, the U.S. right now, um, and uh, I guess, how do you feel about that? Are you a little nervous, or...? Well, I want to give uh, full credit to the Soviet Union for uh, opening up their astronaut corps, or I guess they call it their cosmonaut corps, mm -hmm. to women as well as men. Right. So bravo, hats off to Valentina Tereshkova, who flew in June of last year. Um, the Soviets really like to rub it in. So we, we finished Project Mercury, we sent a guy in space for a full day, and we were feeling very proud of ourselves. And then just to rub our noses in it, they sent up two people up for several days, and one of them was a woman. Um, there's a book out that just came out a couple months ago. I'm about to review it, actually, in a few days called, uh, uh, I think it's called Marooned by Martin Kaiden. Hmm. Um, and it's all about how we launch a, a long, long flight Mercury in the next few months to compete with the Soviets who just keep beating the pants off of us. Uh, and he gets stuck up there. And how do we get him down? Um, it's a really neat book, actually. And, and I don't even know if I'd call it science fiction because it very well could happen. So I guess I would say the Soviets are winning, but I think that's good. It keeps us on our toes, and I think ultimately we're all in the game together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Although uh, earlier this year, uh, the U.S. did experience uh, kind of a little bit of a snafu with Ranger 6. The, I, I feel bad for NASA. So NASA has had six failures of Ranger in a row. So Ranger is a probe designed to hit the moon, and you think it wouldn't be that tough to hit the moon, which is pretty big. They've had six tries at it, and it hasn't worked very well. And before that, they had three tries with the Pioneer Able lunar probe. So that's nine tries in a row that we have not been able to get a moon probe to work. Ouch. But we're going to launch another one soon, and I'm sure that one, Ranger 7, is going to work. Yeah. I think the unique thing about Ranger 6 is it was uh, supposed to have television cameras on board, wasn't it? It did. And uh, in fact, everything about Ranger 6 worked perfectly except for the television camera. Yeah. But, uh, you know, other than other than that, how was the play, Miss Lincoln? <laughs> That's right. So, well, do you think that it's, it's a good idea to televise these things with the Russians so close on our heels? I think that's what makes us better than the Russians. Mm. That's, that's, that is the merit of a free democracy is that we show our failures on television for everyone to see, whereas they keep it a secret until the end. We have no idea how many failures the Russians have actually had behind the scenes. That's true. Very true. So interesting. Now, I guess we can't really get too deep into a discussion of the year 1964 without uh, discussing the tragedy that kind of occurred in November of last year. Uh, well, I would not call the Beatles a tragedy. Oh. I think their music is just fine. <laughs> well, I was uh, addressing what happened on November 22nd. Right, uh, the Beatles. Uh, oh, no, you're talking about, <laughs> yes, the tragedy in Texas. So, interestingly, we, um, we watched uh, uh, Walter Cronkite live as he broke up on television. And, uh, and, and we watched his coverage for an hour and a half before he was relieved. And, uh, and then we had all the people in the journey. So, the journey covers the world. We have mm -hmm. two correspondents in England, one in West Germany, uh, one who uh, just defected from Leningrad, in fact. Oh, wow. Uh, we have someone who's coming in from Australia. So it's truly a worldwide operation. And when Kennedy was shot, uh, we had 
24-hour coverage. Um, every few hours we had another article coming in from one of our many correspondents. So that was, that was a time when we all came together and it was a, a national tragedy. I feel like President Johnson is doing a fine job mm -hmm. carrying on Kennedy's legacy. Uh, he got Kennedy's tax cut through. Um, he seems to be pushing the Civil Rights Bill. Um, if he can just handle Vietnam, I think we'll be set. Yeah. I know that one thing that uh, LBJ is working on is uh, the war on poverty. Uh, he On January 8th, he addressed that uh, he was really going to be attacking not only just fixing poverty, but trying to find a cure for poverty. Right. I saw that State of the Union. It was very inspirational. What's interesting is as this uh, State of the Union was going on, I got a phone call from a friend of mine who happens to live in, in January 8th, 2019. Oh, wow. And he said that his president was also making a speech, but that the president in 2019 was not nearly as inspirational and, and far more exclusive rather than inclusive. Mm. Um, gosh, I can't imagine politics going to hell so badly in 55 years, but, uh, you know, you never can tell, obviously. Uh, life is stranger than science fiction, which That's is actually true. the main topic of the journey's coverage, in fact. That is true. Well, as Bob Dylan said, uh, the times they are changing. I think that uh, he actually released that song this year, did he not? Uh, last year, yeah. Last His second year. album was, right. was quite good. And uh, he's, he's quite a singer. Um, he has no trouble finding notes. He just doesn't know what to do with them when he gets them. That's true. <laughs> well, speaking on music, uh, you, of course, did see the Ed Sullivan show where uh, the Beatles appeared. And... Uh, what is your opinion on these uh, long-haired, odd-looking creatures? So, as you know, I have rather more hair than is typical for my time. Mm. I, I am what people might call a beardy. Mm. Um, and I have to say, I like the idea of not having to have my hair cut every week. Yeah. I think that that's definitely good. Do you, do you think that... Uh, have you seen the response that they create in teenage girls? I have, and I have not created that response in teenage girls in <laughs> several weeks. So I'm, I'm a little envious, yes. <laughs> so, but yeah, it seems like there, there's a ton of influence coming in from England right now. We've got uh, like a lot of fashion coming in. Uh, there's a, a group, they've only been together for 18 months right now, called the Rolling Stones. I guess they're on their American tour. Uh, they're going to be on the Mike Douglas show on March 23rd, so I guess you'll be able to tell me how that goes. I've heard of them. Um, they... they uh... They're also, they are not as slick as the Beatles, although mm. they dress nicely too. And I understand they're more blues oriented. The uh, the British band that I've gotten into recently is the Dave Clark Five. They're yeah. very loud in a way that, that I have just not heard on the radio. Um, they're pretty neat. Mm -hmm. Do you think that a lot of the uh, European bands are coming over to America, especially the British ones, because uh, kind of the stranglehold the BBC holds on the radio stations over there? Probably. If, if, I were, if I were an opportunistic person, I'd probably rent a boat and go out to international waters and broadcast whatever music I wanted. It's not a bad idea. So, very nice. I, uh, now, European fashions are really something. I don't know if you guys are keeping up on this, but... Uh, Hamlines are getting really high, and waistlines are disappearing. Right. Um, it's too bad about the second one, because mm. I, I, I like fashion that defines, um, although pencil skirts are very in. So we actually, although we started out as a strictly science fiction endeavor, mm -hmm. um, we ha I, I insisted very early on that we get a fashion columnist. Yes. And Gwyn Conaway uh, is a member of the Design Guild. Um, she does movies for period pieces. Uh, and uh, 
and she's just extremely knowledgeable in fashion. So every quarter we, we cover fashion. Mm -hmm. um, so we have watched as the 50s have faded away and the flared skirts have turned to pencil skirts and the space age has started to influence all of our fashion. And it's just really exciting. Yeah, it is. I, I wonder if maybe, as we talked about the times changing, um, women starting to have uh, sort of more of their own say. A lot of these styles harken back to the 1920s, hmm. I would say, and uh, in a lot of ways allow women more mobility. Um, they're sort of, instead of emphasizing the womanly sexual qualities, more of a gamine, sort of an androgynous kind of thing. Do you think that that has anything to do with the cultural zeitgeist or do you think this is just a fashion trend that's going to fizzle and burn away i think that's very insightful in fact i'm going to probably steal that for my next presentation oh. <laughs> so we had uh, betty frieden come out with the feminine mystique just mm -hmm. just last year and uh, the second wave of feminism is definitely on its way um and i i think the two are absolutely related yeah well done very much so so we've got a lot of post-war prosperity going around now do you think that maybe because of that, people are getting bored, and maybe that uh, that's what's facilitating all these uh, social, cultural upheavals that we're having right now. I think we have a combination of two things. We've got prosperity, so no one's really hurting, so we can really strike that. People are plenty hurting. We've, mm -hmm. we've got segregation is, 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 is coming to the fore, finally being addressed in a big way. We, and, and women, of course, are breaking out of, of the shackles that they've had. But we don't have the crises in our. We, we now have the ability to focus on the internal crises of our company mm -hmm. of our country, and we've been coming out of such a repressive regime since World War II that I think this this revolutionary backlash is inevitable. I, I think this is the year that's going to be the flashpoint, um, and I think things are going to get more dramatic from here. Of course, there's a group of people who are having something of a knee jerk reaction right now. Um, Barry Goldwater is getting a lot of attention, uh, as is the Birch Society. Do you have anything to say about those? I have plenty to say about <laughs> them. If, if I were to draw a line, if, if I was to make a prediction of how we could get to this, whoever is in the White House in January 8th, 2019, mm -hmm. um, from here, it would be a direct line from Barry Goldwater with his nativist reactionary policies. And I don't think he's doing anything special. I think uh, I think conservatives were were fine with the way things were in the 40s and 50s, but now that we're progressing past that era, I think they want to go back. Hmm. I think they want to make America great again in some way that they feel that America was once great. Hmm. Um, and while Barry Goldwater and John F. Kennedy were good friends, and I think he has some ad admirable qualities, the fact is we do not need the primitives of the, of the grand old party taking over this country. And my bet is on Nelson Rockefeller, although he got a... a smashing disappointment in New Hampshire a couple of weeks ago in the primary with Henry Cabot Lodge winning the primary. This is the man who probably can't be the president, but he's probably certainly edged Rocky out of being president, which is probably going to give it to Goldwater. Mm. Yeah, you, you think Goldwater's in the running? Uh, for the Republican nomination, yes. I have hope that Johnson, who is as canny a politician as any and has a bit of the sympathy left over from Kennedy, uh, will wipe the floor with him. It kind of reminds me of a movie I saw recently. Uh, well, I guess it just came out in your time. Vincent Price in sort of a unique role, uh, The Last Man Standing. Uh, this movie is kind of near and dear to my heart because it, it's a man who's essentially fighting off vampires. And uh, I, yeah, not to toot my own horn, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, so 
he in this movie he's boarding himself off from this world outside that's sort of overrun by these vampires and he's seeking to find a cure for this social change that's coming through do you think that that's a commentary or do you think that that's just kind of silliness well, interestingly, um, that movie is based on a Richard Matheson's mm -hmm. novel called I Am Legend that came out 10 years ago. Uh, and we just covered it on The yeah. Journey, in fact. So we cover all the science fiction films that come out. Um, and Rose Benton covered it because she's a huge Vincent Price fan. Um, she thought the movie was fair. Other people liked it better. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a commentary on anything. Um, I think Richard Matheson just can write a really good cracking screenplay. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I think what's interesting is we were talking about Goldwater, the Birch Society, and sort of uh, this new resurgence of uh, the far right that's coming through. Uh, and it's affecting everything. Even in uh, Playboy, uh, the, the March issue of Playboy, um, if you go ahead and take a look at that. Um, oh, I definitely have taken a look at it. <laughs> but if you take a look at the, the articles uh, and you don't look at uh, Nancy Scott Centerfold and... Uh, anymore <laughs> but uh interestingly in the same issue that has the girls of russia they also feature ayn rand in an interview and uh you, you know a little about ayn rand don't you tell me I'll, i i actually am not familiar with uh, his her her work? her okay. Is okay. a woman who grew up in communism and uh, has come to America, and she uh, is sort of the founder of the objectivist movement. She kind of believes in sort of a very pro-capitalist, anti-communist, um, objectivist mentality. Do what is best for the self, as opposed to kind of being a martyr for society or serving others. Your life is yours alone. Um, it's, it's an interesting stance in philosophy. Um, I, I'd have to say it, Nietzsche kind of beat her to the punch but uh yeah she actually did an interview in playboy uh where she talked with about with clothes on well yeah well uh have you seen ayn rand so i i think it was robert Heinlein who once said uh, all women are beautiful some are more beautiful than others there you go <laughs> but yeah she actually she did a uh interview where she had kind of address this uh, new sort of uprising, this sort of uh, response to LBJ and the new social change, and saying that none of this really means anything uh, if you can't be anti-communist without being pro-capitalist, and that the uh, detestable state of our society, at, uh, which, which she calls it, is all due, uh, according to the Birch Society and people who might follow Goldwater, due to a communist conspiracy. You, what do you think about it? you think that there's a communist conspiracy afoot? Uh, um, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I've seen what happens when you're, when we're, when, when this country gets too anti-communist. So, mm. so perhaps some pro-communist pro communism is in order. Uh, truthfully, I actually have relatives behind the iron curtain and, uh, being Jewish behind the iron curtain is, is not fun. Mm. Um, and stories I have from, from my friend from Leningrad, uh, indicate that things aren't great. Um, so I have no illusions that, uh, that our fellow travelers, behind the Iron Curtain are, are any more enlightened than we are. Uh, that said, uh, using them as a convenient scapegoat or, or any subculture as a convenient scapegoat yeah, is always uh, ill-advised. Yeah. But I think one of the biggest, now we talked about like, you know, films, Playboy, but comics 
are kind of having a moment right now. Uh, it, uh, 10 years ago, we had the Hayes Code come through, which kind of put comics in a slump. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Hayes Code, it's it's kind of a code that stated that all comics had to, well, you could explain it, I guess. Yeah, they, well, it killed girls' comics for one thing. But pretty go on, much. I'm sure you're going to say it better than I can. Well, they, they pretty much just uh, decided that uh, comics could not have any kind of radical sentiments in them, any kind of pro-communist kind of agenda, which really people were not sure what was going to be read as pro-communist. So storylines really became very dull, very unmotivated, because the writer's hands were tied. Now... We're having just a crazy, like, speculative fiction, science fiction, all sorts of different storylines are coming through. Uh, what are some of your favorites that you've seen? Well, we definitely love comics of the journey, and we, we cover them at least twice a year. Um, I love the, uh, the diversity I'm starting to see in comic books. It's going beyond just super-powered people in underwear, mm -hmm. uh, and now it's complicated, interesting people in underwear. Um, I, there, there is a joke, uh, what's more Jewish than comic books? The answer is the Torah, <laughs> but not much. Um, so we have, uh, we have a lot of, of Jewish creators in comics and, and some of, some of the greatest like Stan Lee are just writing tons and tons, especially under the, the new imprint Marvel, which mm -hmm. just came out a few years ago, uh, from the ashes of Atlas. Um, so they're coming out with greats like the Fantastic Four, the Amazing Spider-Man, the Avengers. Uh, there's a new uh, comic called The X-Men that's one of my particular favorites. Um, and there are these stories about real people who have flaws, sometimes sometimes handicaps. Mm -hmm. um, often society doesn't appreciate what they do. Sometimes they're actually persecuted by society. Um, the teams often don't get along very well. They're very human in a way that, that we have not seen from National, or as the fans call it, DC, uh, mm -hmm. it, sometime, in some time, if ever. Um, which is not to say National is all bad either. So National has seen the writing on the wall, and it's come out with some great stuff. So, for instance, um, Sergeant Rock is a great World War II comic. Um, more realistic, if less fun, than, uh, than Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. Um, they also have the Doom Patrol, which looks a lot like the X-Men, and probably because they both derive from the same place, which was an early draft for uh, Fantastic Four. Mm. Uh, and the Doom Patrol also features a bunch of people who were born with powers or, or collected them along the way, led by a, a paraplegic super genius uh, fighting evil. Um, and I just love it. I love that yeah. stuff. This, they're starting to do real social commentary. I would love it if we got to see a black superhero um, I suspect that'll be coming soon. Mm -hmm. um, I would love to see more focus on women superheroes. I love Wasp. Um, I love Elastawoman. Um, I love Invisible Girl. Yep. Those are all good, uh, all good characters. And where I think they're so interesting, like you talked about, not just people with superpowers in their underwear. Um, Superman, of course, leading the charge as far as that goes. And Superman uh, is an alien, a person from another world who has all these unearthly powers, but is always appreciated for it. Is always Everybody kind of rejoices at what Superman does, and he never really has to confront his difference that often. I, I mean, there, there are issues, but uh, mostly it, it's just that he's sort of celebrated, whereas, uh, say, in Doom Patrol or in Fantastic Four... Uh, these people, especially The Thing and Fantastic Four, uh, they're really having to deal with how their difference from society affects them, how it affects their interpersonal relationships uh, 
two of the members of Fantastic Four are married. Um, that's Sue Storm and, of course, uh, Mr. Fantastic. And uh, then she was working alongside her brother, which I wouldn't do. Uh, and uh, it, it's it's just this really interesting dynamic, and it's real. That uh... I think Superman represents something very interesting, mm -hmm. um, despite the fact that that Ellis Island essentially was closed down in the early 20s. And, yeah. and luckily, my ancestors made it here just under the gun. Oh, I mean, I'm, Congratulations. Thank you. Hey. Uh, all immigrants. Um, but Superman still comes from an American tradition mm -hmm. that we are open to immigrants. As long as you play by the rules and become one of us, we are a melting pot. We want all... Uh, LBJ said in his State of the Union, we want people to come to this country. That's what makes America great is immigrants and mm -hmm. foreigners. And yes, Superman is as foreign as they get. He's an alien. And yet, he has adopted the American way of life, um, truth, justice, and the American way. Um, and I don't think anyone can have a fault with that. No. Um, so as long as you're willing to be an American, um, come from anywhere, be anything. I, yeah. I, I think that's one of the, that's that's a beautiful thing about Superman, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah. Now, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Superman myself. Um, I think... My favorite right now uh, probably would be Doom Patrol, and it could just have to do with my last name, <laughs> so, which is Latvian, of course. <laughs> so, and, uh, but yeah, I, I really, and uh, Daredevil, we touched on just a little bit. Uh, right, Daredevil mm -hmm. issue one just came out. Yeah, um, and that's a and that and that stars a person who can't see. Yeah, and that's that's pretty interesting. And and yes, he can make up for it because his other senses are are incredibly acute. But at the same time, he can't read uh, mm -hmm. unless it's in Braille. And he's a lawyer, so everything he has to do is read. Yeah, that's true. And I, a lot of that, I think, is overcoming adversity. It's, it's, we're seeing examples now where it's not, oh, poor me, oh, poor me, oh, what a tragedy this is. It's like, here's the card I was dealt, and we're going to make do. Right. And not only make do, we're going to excel, as Daredevil, of course, does. Right. Because he could feel sorry for himself, but in instead he turns that energy around and he defends the people. So and in Hell's Kitchen, which is uh, there's really something to be said about that. It's a uh, not a plush neighborhood. Right. So, but um, let's see. Uh, now, of course, we can't talk about time travel without addressing Doctor Who. Are you a fan of that show? So I have never seen an episode mm. of Doctor Who because I live in the United States mm. and it's only being aired in England. Oh. However, we do have a British correspondent solely for the purpose of covering those episodes. Her name is uh, Jessica and she has been doing an excellent job since it came out in December talking about this show, which looks very interesting if somewhat low budget, but what, what isn't mm. on, you know, on science fiction. Um, but uh, right now they are in the middle of Marco Polo's China um, before they had gone to 100,000 years ago. Um, they, I understand they're going to be going to different planets and other, yeah. other times. So that, that's a fascinating show. I'd love to watch more of it. Um, also, we did an article it was by someone else, uh, one, of, one of our other team who's into esoteric music, talked about the creation of the theme for Doctor Who, which I have mm. heard. I got sent a reel-to-reel uh, -reel tape of it. Oh. And uh, it's just fantastic. It's all, it's all cut together from snips of electronic music put to tape. And it's just, it's such a neat, theme if you guys get a chance to hear it it's it's it is the cutting edge of music this theme mm -hmm. to doctor who very interesting stuff i guess let's talk about some more uh american television shows uh how about some star trek are you a fan 
Uh, I'm afraid I haven't heard of that that show. Oh no. I uh, no. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, uh, right now, uh, Twilight Zone is in its fifth season. Uh, Outer Limits is in its first. Um, My Favorite Martian is a big hit. Oh, there you go. Uh, this year, um, those are the science fiction shows with which I'm familiar. Mm. So. Twilight Zone, that's an interesting one. Like we were talking about the ability to address social issues through uh, a medium like comic books. I feel like Twilight Zone is really taking uh, attack and really um, kind of exposing people to, for uh, the longest time, uh, you know, all the media sources were just like people singing and dancing and making merry and Twilight Zone is really taking some roughshod storylines and creating some characters who are really um, maybe not the most likable, but you, the teaching experience, like watching it, is uh, it forces us to expand our thoughts. What's your thought on that? Um, I, I do want to point out that anthology shows are nothing new. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, uh, when Twilight Zone came out, there were several other science fiction horror anthology shows on the air. One was narrated by Boris Karloff. Oh, yeah. Uh, one was narrated by Roald Dahl. Um, that said, Twilight Zone is definitely a cut above. Rod Serling is a, is a master mm -hmm. of writing, uh, although he's, as he has admitted himself, he's writing a bit too many of the episodes and he's getting a little tired. Yeah. Um, but he's, in, he's also hired people like Richard Matheson and Charles Beaumont um, to, to write some truly wonderful episodes. Um, he has definitely made some pointed social commentary in his stuff yeah. uh, and made us think. And this is something he's always wanted to do. Um, I, I think he has opened the door for better television. I think The Outer Limits is in The Twilight Zone's tradition. I understand The Twilight Zone has been canceled this year because mm. um, Rod Serling wants to go on to other things. But I would not be surprised if that leg the legacy of that show continues for decades to come. There might be revivals of Twilight Zone over the years, I would imagine. Yeah. It's it's always kind of interesting to me to see what shows are getting canceled. Um, like for four year, for four years now, uh, the animated series, uh, the Bullwinkle Show, mm. uh, has been on the air, and uh, now that it's running on NBC opposite of Lassie, uh, it's the ratings are plummeting. But it's so much more intelligent kind of humor and just so much more plot driven than I mean, Lassie. You've seen one episode. You've seen them all. Not, 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 nothing against Lassie. She's adorable, but you know, what are your thoughts on things like that? I believe Timmy, Timmy has fallen in the will. <laughs> Again. Well, that's what they need—a crossover. Right. So. Uh, so. so I absolutely adore Rocky and Bullwinkle. They're mm -hmm. in their fifth season, and I would be very sad to see them go because they—they're one of the wittiest shows on television. Rocky and Bullwinkle comes from that tradition of Warner Brothers cartoons, mm -hmm. where where it hits both at the young level and at the adult level. Um, and it would be terrible to see it go. You know, um, the Flintstones came out a few years ago, right. and that was one that started out as more for adults and has become a kiddie show. The Jetsons came out, and that was strictly a kiddie show, and I was never impressed with the Hanna-Barbera efforts. Mm -hmm. So to lose Rocky and Bullwinkle would be very sad. I think so, too. But, uh, well, you know, maybe something will happen on the set of Lassie. You never know. <laughs> Not that I wished Lassie ill at all. Do you think that TV is going to be start, starting to be more adventurous? Do you think that, that we're going to see that as an increasing trend? Or do you think that it's it's just diversifying itself? It's just making more things available. Well, it'll be in color. That's that's kind oh. of nice. Um, we've got several shows out in color now. Bonanza, uh, Hazel, uh, The Lucy Show, which is far better than its prequel because uh, Lucille Ball actually gets to 
to be her own woman and really funny actually. Mm. Um, I think TV is definitely on the on the improving trend. So Nelson Minow, the uh, the head of the FCC a couple of years ago, described TV as the vast wasteland, which was a a very profound statement and caused a lot of people to think about what television is and how to make it better. Um, and I, I think we've seen some improvements. This year there was a show called The Great Adventure, hmm. which is a bunch of dramatized vignettes from American history. Um, and they've been interesting, uh, you know, this sort of educational television. I think it's kind of like what Doctor Who is supposed to be across the pond, this, yeah. both educational and, and engaging. Um, which is what I try to do. Um, so I think television is getting better and smarter, but you know, I'm, I'm also, I, I pick when I sit in front of the, the idiot box, you know, I, I'll watch combat, I'll watch the Lieutenant, I'll watch Burke's law, but I won't watch the Beverly Hillbillies. Mm. I won't watch the Flintstones. I won't watch the multitude of Westerns that just won't die like gun smoke. <laughs> um, so I, I have a biased view of television. Also, mm. uh, I know people are, are really annoyed with commercials, but the fact is when we have just two commercials per half hour and it's always something innocuous like saran wrap mm. or, or, uh, or cigarettes, you know, who doesn't want cigarette commercials on their television? People enjoying themselves, taking a puff and being extremely healthy and you can't smell it over the air. That's true. That's true. Uh, even Fred Flintstone. Right. So, yes. As Winston is toasted. <laughs> And good, like a taste good, like, like a cigarette, a cigarette should. should. That's right. Yes. So, but talking about uh, people writing screenplays, I mean, I guess every screenplay starts as a story, and we're starting to see some really amazing speculative fiction coming onto the scene. Um, what are some of your favorites? Um, science fiction is definitely undergoing a transformation. It was all gadgets and gimmick stories, mm -hmm. and 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 spaceships in the 40s. And over the 50s, it became something more subtle and psychological. And in the 60s, we're having what in England they're calling the new wave of science fiction and, and really focusing more on the human aspect yeah. of what technology will do to us. Um, and it's, it's very exciting. Um, what good books have I read lately? Um, you'll have to come back to me. I have so many. Uh, um, Margaret St. Clair came out with Sign of the Labrys last year, which hmm. was pretty interesting, if a little funkily New Age religion-y. Um, like I said, the, the Martin Kyden book Maroon was very good. Um, there's a, an excellent novella that came out late last year by Paul Anderson called The Night Faces, um, which was, start, was a, a love triangle on an alien planet with all sorts of weird biology, which was just really interesting. Um, they're just... They're going into new and interesting places with their science fiction. Um, a couple years ago, uh, Daniel Galuyi came out with a, um, a book called Dark Universe. Um, it takes place after the apocalypse, and everyone's living underground in complete lightlessness. So everyone's blind. Yeah. Um, and humans have adapted in two ways. Some have uh, evolved night vision. Um, which means there's something like Daredevil. They can't. There's things they can't do, but they can see in the dark. Uh, others are just completely blind, but have pretty good sense of hearing. Um, and what's fascinating about that book is, in the end, uh, they are able to come out into the light again. And there is some talk about whether they're actually better off 
You know, were they really handicapped before now that they're in this bewildering world of light? Is this a better situation? And I thought that was a very interesting examination of the, the handicapped experience. Mm-hmm. Um, are, the, are, are people really worse off because they're handicapped or are they just differently able? Right. Um, that kind of the interesting discussion in a, in, a, in a speculative fiction sort of way I just find really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess one piece that I really enjoyed uh, is Ursula K. Le Guin's The Word of Unbinding, uh, which appeared in uh, Fantastic Stories of Imagination. Um, are you familiar with that at all? Did that one just come out? I think it did just come out. So I am, I am familiar with Ursula K. Le Guin. She's one of several dozen women authors who are writing at this time. Uh, she came out with a story a couple of years ago called April in Paris, which is a, a lovely time travel story. Um, and I liked it so much, I, I awarded it the Galactic Star, which is sort of our the Galactic Journey's Hugo Awards. Very nice. Um, I have not read the story you're talking about um, mm. because... I can only read so much. We cover everything that comes out, and oh, we do, in yeah. fact, cover Fantastic. Uh, Victoria Silverwolf covers Fantastic, and I believe that story was just covered, and that article will come out in two days. Interesting. But I don't have any words for you at this moment because I haven't read it yet. Oh, no worries. Um, you were talking about a, a time travel story that she wrote, um, and now you yourself being a time traveler. Are there representations of time travel that you find offensive in any way? <laughs> Uh, I can't say that there's any I find offensive. I think uh, the the neatest one I read was a, there was a, a John Brunner book that came out a few years ago. I think it's called uh, Worlds Without Number. I, I could be getting the title wrong. And that book starts in the 20th century in an England that had been conquered by Spain hmm. uh, by the Armada in the 17th century or 16th century. Um, and the basic premise to that book in the end is you can't have a universe with time travel because in the end it'll reset itself as people keep changing the timeline such until you get a universe where time travel was never invented. So in other words, if you have a universe where time travel is possible, there will be no time travel in that universe. Well, that makes sense, I suppose. So I guess I find that offensive because I'm a time traveler and I'm here, so clearly that premise is false. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. But oh, did, do you ever worry about that? Um, what they, they call the butterfly effect, that you might, uh, in one of your travels, disrupt something in a negative way and come back to an alternate timeline? Uh, well, if I can end up in a, if I can change things for the better so that the State of the Union address in 2019 is not markedly worse than the one in 1964, then I say bring on the butterflies. Well, there you go. <laughs> so is there is there anything uh, that you can think of that's going on right now in 1964 that you might want to talk about or make sure that we address on the show? I... I think the the biggest thing about 1964 is the Cold War still looms large in the public consciousness. Uh, in January, we had uh, Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove, um, which was a, a very funny and yet strangely and terrifyingly plausible film. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the book Failsafe, which is also being turned into a movie uh, with a similar premise of us on the brink of accidental Armageddon. Um, I... I'm heartened because last year the superpowers signed the uh, partial nuclear test ban treaty, so mm. now they won't be blowing up bombs above ground. Well, that's nice. Which is too bad because I'll have to find some other place to get my strontium supplements. Oh. Um, but I would like to hope that we don't blow ourselves up in the next few years. Hmm. 
but it's hard to fathom a world where we don't, given how close we are to the edge and how close we came in October 1962, for instance. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So is that, would you say that's a pressing concern that, is that something that you think about on a daily basis? Or? I, absolutely. It's, it's something that's in the background. It's, it's that, it's that backache that you don't notice until someone asks you how your back is, but absolutely. Everyone is worried about that. And the only, the only two things I would say that would rival nuclear destruction as things we're scared of are overpopulation. Mm-hmm. I think everyone is worried that in 50 years, we might have as many as 5 billion people on this planet. That's crazy. And could we really support that many people? Um, the other, uh, there was a book that recently came out called Silent Spring. Mm-hmm. Um, it's by the same lady who did the, the, the Seas Around Us, I think is what it was called. She's an oceanographer, but she's also an environmentalist. Um, and there is some concern that we are poisoning our world beyond the ability of it to be able to sustain us. I mean, you go to Los Angeles, you can't see your face in front of you because of the smog. Mm. Um, there are rivers that are catching fire in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, we're going to have to do something about this. Mm-hmm. And do you think, as a time traveler, do you think that there's any insight from the past that you would want to offer to the people of the future who might find themselves in scenarios where, you know, basically nature has kind of hit its limit? Uh, watch Day of the Triffid, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, more on a more on a more serious note, uh, I think people are aware even now in the early '60s how much carbon dioxide we're putting into the mm-hmm. atmosphere. I read a bunch of articles in the '50s about how the temperature has been going up steadily, uh, and you can draw a line. I'll, I'll I will make a bold prediction right now that between now and say you know a random date, 55 years from now. Uh, the global temperature will be it will be up by at least one or two degrees Celsius, uh, and that's going to have profound effects on life. I think we need to start coming up with alternative energies now mm. uh, to deal with this. Yeah, well, there, solar power seems promising. Uh, it certainly does. We're using it for spacecraft all the time, um, but it has not seen use on Earth. Uh, the big alternative energy source we're using right now is nuclear power. Mm. Um, uh, to the point where we've got people like Edward Teller saying, hey, why don't we dig a big canal across this country using atomic bombs? That seems perfectly safe. Hmm. Your, your opinion on that? Uh, it does not seem perfectly safe. No. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for this interview. And uh, it's very interesting getting a chance to uh, connect with uh, our past through this. And uh, where can people find you if they want to uh, connect with you and learn more about you and your team and all your research that you're doing? So our main presence is located at galacticjourney, all one word, dot org. Um, We also have a presence on a platform called Twitter, where we are at Journey Galactic. Um, And that's where we have our news feed. So if you want to know what's going on, there's a constant news ticker telling you what's happening in 1964. Uh, we also have an Instagram account at Journey Galactic, uh, and that's where we—that's wh- wherever I go. I take my little uh, Kodak land camera around oh, nice. uh, and take pictures of things that are period to 1964 or before. Um, and in fact, at uh, at the end of the show, I'm going to take a picture of our uh, uh, amazing host. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and uh, we also have a presence on Facebook, um, which is also just under Galactic Journey. But the main place you want to go is galacticjourney.org. Hmm. And if if that's not enough for people, if people in the San Diego area or uh, other places might want to actually encounter you in person, be in the presence of an actual time traveler, 
How would they do that? <laughs> it does happen. Um, I, I want to take this opportunity to thank my fans. Both of you are wonderful. Um, <laughs> I perform at the Wavelength, mm -hmm. the space-themed microbrewery, uh, every quarter, and I will be again on June 7th. Uh, I'm going to be performing at the Ruben H. Fleet Space Theater on May 6th, uh, talking about the Mercury Space Program. Uh, and I go to conventions all the time. So I will be at San Diego Comic-Con, although I'm not on the program this year. Uh, I'm going to be at BayCon in San Francisco. I'll be at Worldcon in Dublin. I will be at LostCon in LA in November. Probably there's a San Diego Doctor Who Con oh, wow. in October. We went last year and talked about the making of Doctor Who. We'll be talking about the first season of Doctor Who. So if it's a local convention, we just we just did San Diego Comic Fest. Um, all of these shows that we do, by the way, we tape um, so that you can watch um, and you can see them if you go to the live events tab uh, at galacticjourney.org. Okay, very cool. And is there any risk for people who come to see you live that they might get sucked into the past? Oh, oh absolutely. When this endeavor started, it was just me. Uh, and now there are 20 people on the journey. Uh, however, we have found that being on the journey is good for people's careers. Nice. Uh, we got nominated for the Hugo Award last year. We got the Serling Award a couple years before that. We're hoping we'll get the Hugo this year. So anyone associated with us, it, it rubs off. Very cool. All right. Thank you so much, Traveler. And I guess I will let you be on your way to discover new and interesting things. Yeah, I got to go light a cigarette. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't smoke. Yeah. Surgeon General has said you shouldn't, and he's right. All right. Thank you so much. And okay, guys, so you heard him. Galacticjourney.org. Check him out. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Hey guys, it's me, Nap, again. I just wanted to take a moment at the end of the show right here to thank our extra special Patreons, The Gramerica Show and Nikki Benfield. I don't know what I'd do without your guys' support. Thank you so much. You help make this show and the Creeping Wave Radio possible. So if you'd like to become a Patreon, even $1 donation helps out so much. You can go to www.patreon.com slash lucidnap, all one word, lucid nap. We're going to be revamping our rewards really soon, so there's going to be plenty of opportunities to get free sketches, stickers, and possibly a guest appearance on the show. Could that be potentially disastrous? Yes! Probably, in fact. But you know what? Your support means that much to me that I'm willing to put myself at risk. And hey, while you're frittering away your life on the internet, why not check out www.lostbreadcomic.com for my related comic books and prints. Yes, I make art prints and comic books. How nerdy is that? That's okay, though. You can go check them out, see if you like them, go ahead and buy some. It would mean a whole lot to me. Okay, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you so much. I can't even tell you how much I... Wow. Just, okay. Y you know, I, I gotta go before I tear up. You guys! <laughs> okay. Talk to you later. Bye for real this time. <laughs>